Hi there, welcome to The Manuscript. I'm Breno Barreto. And I'm Juliana Meyer. And in this podcast, we delve into the intersection of writing and the development of technology products. Every couple of weeks, we talk to people making a difference in technical writing, instructional design, UX writing, content strategy, and anywhere else there's someone thinking about content and digital products and the tech industry. In this episode, we'll cover a very new and special subject for us here in this podcast, which is UX writing. We briefly talked about it uh, before in previous episodes, but uh, until today, we didn't have the chance to talk to someone who actually works works with uh, UX writing. And well, I'm very excited to say that today we have Tori Podmajerski. Did I pronounce it right? You sure did. Good. I was a little worried about it. Tori is the author of the bestseller book, Strategic Writing for UX, and is currently a UX writer for Google. She's built an inspiring career getting involved in the most varied spaces, from high school teaching to fiction writing and content strategy for numerous organizations. In this episode, we're going to have four blocks. We start off by talking to Tori a little bit about her career. Then on the second block, we'll talk about the universe of UX writing, following a third block where we cover its application in the tech industry and we close things off discussing her book. And if you want to keep up with our latest news and insights, pitch in on themes for us to talk about, and also get some behind the scenes, follow us on Twitter. The link is in our show notes. Uh, welcome, Tori. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. So let's uh, jump right in and talk a little bit about your career. So uh, we are very curious because your, your background actually starts with a degree in physics. Is that right? That's right. Yeah, I wanted to study something hard, and I did. <laughs> Physics uh, was a big challenge uh, for me, and I really enjoyed it. I enjoyed thinking about the fundamental way things fit together and work together. Uh, and that is probably the thing that is most similar today with what I do, is uh, UX writing is all about thinking of the language and the designs as a system that all has to work together as, as one coherent whole. And in physics, the, uh, the rage is all coming up with the, the theory of everything. You know, what is the one, the one idea that makes the universe make sense? <laughs> Lofty see, goals. Yeah. Makes a lot of sense, actually. <laughs> so uh, you were already a, a science teacher, right? Uh, yeah. And also an instructor at the School of Visual Concepts. Uh, so I was wondering, uh, was there a valuable lesson you learned from that experience? What do you bring from, from that part of your background to the work you do today? I was, uh, I was actually just telling somebody um, about my background. So from my physics degree, I then was teaching high school chemistry and physics for about nine years. And I got my master's degree in curriculum and instruction. Um, what I brought, what I bring from that to my day-to-day -day work is almost everything because what teachers do in the classroom is use it it is ux it is creating user experiences for each student and understanding what those uh what each student is doing with that experience how much they're understanding it or how little <laughs> and and you're you're graded at it on it at the end. Not only is the student graded, but really the teacher is graded for their own effectiveness. 
So in terms of uh, creating a user experience that is measured in every possible way, qualitatively and quantitatively, um, teachers have been doing it for hundreds of years. Uh, so now when I am uh, working on UX that reaches millions or even billions of people, it still comes down to the very basics that I did as a teacher, which is how do I frame this piece of understanding or this question so that the person can respond uh, in a way that that edifies them, that uh, that they understand, that I can understand, um, and and really that core conversation, whether it's you know uh, doing a, a chemistry lab or uh, going through a flow in a in a marketplace app, it is still an inter- it is a uh, still an interaction, it's still a conversation, and, and I've been paying attention to how those words work now for gosh almost twenty years. Wow, that's an amazing insight. Uh, there's a lot of, of teaching in, in what you do in UX writing and also what me and Breno work on, which is tech writing. And I'd love to uh, dive a little bit more into that uh, later on. But keeping back to the theme of your career, uh, you've acted as a UX writer in so many interesting contexts, from Xbox to Microsoft Education and e-commerce. How did those different markets impact your job in the field? What did you learn from each one of them? You know, I think that uh, my job at Xbox is, is definitely where I learned the most. That is where I learned the craft of doing UX um, and really translated my experience as a teacher into the digital experiences. Um, the It also gave me a view into... Uh, the broad consumer audience for the first time, but still not as broad as then working on Microsoft account products that uh, people at the time were like more than a billion people then in maybe 2014 or so were signing into their Hotmail accounts and their MSN accounts that were all backed by Microsoft account. So when you're trying to reach a billion people and let them do the things they are trying to do, that really is something. Uh, and it made a big impact on me in terms of the responsibility that I had to them. Uh, and I got to work on privacy features and uh, especially the how do we talk about privacy features um, in, and I worked on this in Xbox also, in Xbox and in Microsoft Education, for example, so that even, uh, even worried parents could understand here is the data that is being saved uh, and here's the data that I can delete when I want to. Um, the moving from that into e-commerce uh, was kind of lovely because it gave me a very uh, practical sense of it's not just about reaching everybody, it's about allowing commerce to flow. It, it brought it back to the dollar value of you know, what does each screen count for, for this business, a startup business? Um, and so that's been, that's been really interesting. And then I can't talk much about my Google projects uh, right now that are ongoing, um, but being able to, to dig in deeper and always be finding new things. I think actually one of the, the best things I've done is to move around 
and have these different experiences so that I can keep learning and growing uh, and start like applying pre- previous learnings and learning more about them, finding the boundaries where things work and don't work. That's been uh, hugely interesting to me and I think has made me a much better writer than I had been. Nice. Yeah. So, something that uh, I was wondering while reading your book is that uh, it seems to me by reading it that uh, you had the, you had many chances to start new projects with new teams and with new people, which uh, probably uh, made a lot of difference in, in the way you approach your job. Because whenever we have to start a new thing, we, we kind of rethink about uh, what we're doing and why we're doing and how we do it. Right. So I kind of, uh, you, you, you seemed like a very experienced uh, writer because uh, also because of that, because I had the chance to work in many different environments. Is, is that a... Yeah, I think that it's, uh, I think that's absolutely right. Um, and just to add one more thing to it, I've had to, I've chosen roles where I've been the first UX writer coming into sometimes an entire organization. So I've been in the role of explaining what is it I can do for the company, for the product, for our users, uh, over and over again. And, uh, and with different uh, lenses, people have different ideas of what I can come in and do. Um, and people have different needs. Uh, and sometimes I have to say, yeah, that's a thing I don't do. Like, I'm not going to write your marketing copy. It turns out I'm terrible at writing a good Twitter post to promote something. Um, it is not a skill I've practiced. And uh, because that's that's sort of the opposite side of the content spectrum from the thing that I have practiced, which is, hey, you've already decided you want to do a thing. Let me make it super easy for you to do that. Super easy and understandable, hopefully. <laughs> that's amazing. And well, going into uh, another section in our podcast, let's delve into the universe of UX writing itself. And we've already given some tips to our listeners about uh, UX writing, but let's level things up here. So first off, can you please tell us what is UX writing? You know, I think I wrote something in the book that was concise and I definitely edited it many times about what UX writing is. Uh, but in general, uh, let's see if I can wing this. Um, it is the process of choosing the right words in the experience to get people doing what they want to do and the organization getting the information doing what it wants to be doing. That is the organization making the experience. Wow, that's... How did I do? I feel like that was a test. No. <laughs> yeah. It was amazing. Yeah. Uh, right on I was, the spot. I was checking, I was checking it with the, the, the definition that you gave in the book to see if it's right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, but it's amazing to, to, to think of what UX writing is and also of what it is not because uh, I feel that many times people try to attach many things that come from other fields. And it, of course, it's, it's difficult to... Uh, settle these boundaries, but uh, I think your your definition is good too. I mean, it's, it's really precise for us to understand, yeah, this is what it is. Yeah, I know people get confused quite a bit and think that it's editing the text at the end, or it is uh, copywriting so that it sounds um, attractive in, a, in the same way that our marketing brethren would do. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, and something that you know as tech writers, the process of writing is very, very different than the process of editing. Uh, and then and then editing by itself takes on very different forms. So like any UXer, um, any UX designer, any any person creating an experience, like I first start writing by uh, by writing down any words, just getting something on the page or in the designs. And then I refine and it is an iterative process. And that is part of editing, right? That iteration into something better for purpose, for usability, for concision, for verbosity, getting all of the right ideas in there and getting all of the crap ideas out. <laughs> and then I still will, <laughs> at that point, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll be working with, you know, maybe I'm paired designing with my designer or program manager uh, or product owner or whoever. And then I'll still have ridiculous typos in there that are terribly embarrassing because I still have my writer hat on and not my copy editing hat on. My, some of my, my uh, best writing partners uh, have been in those times when I've actually had an editor also. At Xbox, we had a fantastic editor that covered the entire UX writing team, and he kept us all uh, using commas the same way. I mean, commas, they just, sometimes they just sneak in there. <laughs> so, yeah. Absolutely true. Yeah. <laughs> Something that I was wondering uh, while you were uh, talking right now, it's it's not only writing, right? It's it's UX writing, and and many times I th- I feel that uh, maybe journalists or even tech writers or people who are coming from other fields and are trying to become UX writers, they kind of forget this little part of it, of it. <laughs> uh, so, uh, what I wanted to ask you is, in your vision, how much UX and or so how how, how much you, uh, user experience this design vision is there in in UX writing? You know, it's funny. It's kind of like asking how much of carpentry is using a hammer, (laughs) right? It's carpentry is not all about hammer usage. Like you can get real, and actually maybe hammer isn't even the right thing. Maybe saw, I don't know. I am definitely not a woodworker. Um, (laughs) uh, It is, the writing is the tool and people who have built their careers around writing are people who are experts in using that tool and really just making it, uh, making it sing, making, you know, knowing how to phrase the same idea in several ways so that you can try it out and see what is most effective. And it's that seeing if what is most effective, that is the UX part. It's the seeing what is the most effective for the users of that experience. Uh, and for the, like, is, does this meet those uh, users' goals, and does it meet the goals of the organization that's making this experience to begin with? And that is often not the most beautiful language. Sometimes it's not even grammatically correct language that is the most effective, and and that, or even the most delightful. <laughs> and so that's that's really where the line is. The UX writer really needs to come in and be a UXer first and have their very best and favorite tool be the language. Wow, that's a a beautiful way to put it. 
And I really think that metaphor worked. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and you open your book by referring to the frequently heard phrase, sometimes said by by product managers or or uh, HR, uh, that we need to hire someone to fix the words. That's the usual. <laughs> that's the usual view that organizations have around the words of uh, software of the UX writing part. And but sometimes that role of UX writer is fulfilled by non UX writers like designers, engineers, or even tech writers. And what advice mm -hmm. would you give those people who are acting upon the area but don't have a proper formation in the field? Where should they begin learning? Yeah, well, and it's funny because that that idea of a proper formation in the field didn't really exist when I started UX writing. Right. There was no formation in the field mm -hmm. um, because the field didn't exist like it didn't exist as a as a discipline. Um, so very frequently and, and uh, let's just make it clear at this time in 2020, we do not have enough UX writers to go around. There are uh, most apps are built and, and entirely designed and shipped without a dedicated writer, without somebody with this dedicated expertise. So I really like this question, the, the idea, how do, we, how do we lift up the people who are doing the UX writing, even if tools are not their favorite? Um, and here's where really some very basic tools, I think, come in handy, which is uh, learning about grammar, learning about um, learning patterns that people can apply that'll like get them maybe halfway, maybe 80% of the way there without understanding why maybe, or without uh, bringing for themselves a facility to understand like, oh, here's the way I am thinking of it, um, but I can, uh, and I don't know any other ways to say it. And then maybe being able to apply a pattern and say, oh, look, I can start with the phrase, to do the thing, then, you know, do it this way. Right. I think mm. I'm, I'm babbling now. Um, <laughs> We're getting you. I mean, even using tools like Hemingway or Grammarly, or even just like beyond spell checking, but the grammar checking available in Google docs or in, in Microsoft word helps quite a bit uh, to like, especially if you turn them, all the way up to, to 11 and say, no, tell me if I'm using passive voice. Tell me if I'm um, using words that are unnecessarily complex. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I can totally relate to, to, to what you're saying because uh, many times when, when there's someone new coming to the team uh, and they're not exactly writers or uh, communicator, communicators, uh, but they're going to uh, work as... Uh, in our case, technical writers, and mm -hmm. many times they come to us and, and, and they ask, "What, what should I read? What should I study? Uh, how do I become a, a writer in, in the tech industry?" And I and I feel really bad because I mean I, I've been working with this for I don't know more than ten years now, and I don't mm -hmm. really know what to tell them. You know, it's, yeah. it's not it's not like there's a, a course, uh, especially here in, in Brazil and Latin America as a whole. I think uh, th there's. I mean, what is the the, the 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 background that I should suggest or the or the courses? I, I don't don't really know. So it's a it's a it's a 
an interesting position to be. I, I, I'm not sure if it's because of the maturity of the market that we're in or if it's something more related to the nature of this job. Uh, so uh, I, I totally relate to, to this onboarding pain that, that we're kind of talking about. Yeah, I think I related a little bit to how UX as a discipline and UX design specifically has grown and changed over the last 10 and 15 years. That in the very beginning, uh, designers came in and they were, each design department was sort of making up where they were, uh, their own pile of best practices, their own pile of here is how we can do this thing. Um, and that is what UX writers have been doing also. And now we have design, uh, whole design systems that are publicly available that people don't need to reinvent systems of buttons and selection boxes and typography ramps and, and all of that. And I hope that we will get to the point with UX writing where there is an agreed on set of best practices that everybody can build on. Sort of like, you know, to extend the, the carpentry analogy, <laughs> the, you know, a basic tool set that pretty much anybody can use with some level of success. And then cool. an expert can come in and use it even better and bring more tools. Yeah, no, that would be fantastic. <laughs> yeah, totally. And uh, I feel that in the developing world, there's always the ideal uh, perspective and the real life perspective, like what we wanted to happen and what actually happens in our day to day dealing with digital products. And well, then let me let me tell you that uh, San Francisco and San uh, the the Bay Area and Seattle must be squarely in the developing world then, because there is the ideal way and then there is the real way. Definitely. <laughs> yeah, that's really reassuring to hear. <laughs> Because we, of course, aspire to uh, Silicon Valley as in general, <laughs> and it's good to feel that uh, the struggle is real. Uh, but although, Very much so. yeah, entering into this topic, although the U the ideal UX writing process involves many stages, like researching and imagining paths and testing copy and interviewing users, which is something that you talk a lot about in your book. In most cases, the firefighting atmosphere of fixing the words, quote unquote, doesn't leave any space or time for us to have that much care around every microcopy that we write. Uh, so how can we strive for excellent work with the pressure of delivering copy on tight deadlines? Yeah, that's a great question. And honestly, one that I, I hear a lot um, in my in my day to day work uh, with you other UX writers working in other teams and even with designers with their own work saying, but you know, I can't deliver high fidelity designs for all of these things. How do I prioritize? How do I say, um, in, like I need to dig in here and do the real deep thinking in a new designer for a new feature or a new product uh, and not just polish the thing at the end because you can spend unlimited time polishing. Um, I think that I think that there's no single good answer to this. The, the best that I've come up with um, is really twofold. One is to be able to look at yourself and or look at, for me to look at myself. Let me use my own language. 
um, and say, wait, I'm not being as effective as I could be. Like I am working on these fires, but I see these much bigger ships passing that I'm not able to catch up with. And that's when I need to say it is on me to make the argument to uh, my leadership team and to the teams that I work with and say, here is what I am prioritizing. I am putting out these particular fires and I am reserving time to do these important things, even though they are not on fire yet. And that is the way I will have the most impact. Uh, And sometimes when it's for a team, that is the way our team will have the most impact altogether. And I, you know, and to sympathize with the, the stakeholders and the teams that are not going to have their fires put out and to say, yeah, I'm really sorry. We are not, we don't have the resources to cover all of the things that we need to do. So it's our responsibility to do the things that are most important, that will make the most impact. And, and here's what we've decided, right? But to always, like, it's an extra overhead to, to sort of maintain a running documentation even, even if it's just a list of, you know, five things to say, these five things are my priority. And then everything else you're bringing me, we're going to measure against those five things. And then sometimes it won't meet the bar. But chances are my stakeholders are going to agree with me um, when I'm showing them, here's my priorities. And they say, oh, yeah, my thing doesn't meet your bar. Well, can you help me do the best I can with it? And and then I can do that, right? I can say, uh, use these patterns or consider this voice attribute or, um, you know, Good luck. You have everything you need. Uh, and do it that way. Did that answer your question? Completely. Yeah. I think that picking your battles is a great way to uh, balance your actual responsibilities and all those uh, new tasks that come up of, of editing what's already been done. That was a great insight. Yeah. Tori, uh, to talk a little about the intersection of uh, UX writing and tech writing, I feel that both have kind of the same storyline in common. I mean, uh, for the professionals working in the field, it is very clear that it's something that has been going around for quite some time now. Uh, tech writing especially is, is kind of an old field, although in many parts of the world, especially here in Brazil, for instance, we're kind of discovering its importance now or rediscovering, I don't know. But uh, so only now most companies are, are starting to sense uh, the importance of, of having the this kind of a professional in their teams. Uh, UX writing is, is becoming really a, a trendy uh, area. People are really talking about it in LinkedIn and uh, I mean, all over the internet. So <laughs> why do you think uh that especially now we we're entering in this uh spotlight yeah i i don't have a a researched answer to this but i do have a gut feel um and i think it's related to uh the the design the maturity of design um in terms of the design systems that are available now and the integration of design into the the software development process It's understood what it can do, and uh, and it used to be, you know, a decade ago, you'd get a designer in or a design team, 
and it would make these magical improvements in usability and and attractiveness. And now the the difference that it can make because it's so well understood, uh, it is now apparent. Like, wait, we've actually gotten pretty good at design, except for this part with the words. So the words, the language in the app, the UX writing now becomes one of the most important things we can do to make a dramatic improvement in the usability and attractiveness of the app or other experience. Yeah, there's a, an opportunity in there. You mean, right? Yeah. Yeah, great. I love how you mentioned in your book that uh, the product of a UX writer is basically everything that the user will interact uh, within a digital product. So it really shows like the impact that this role has within uh, a company. It's really cool. And talking about uh, how companies view it uh, at Vitex, where me and Bren work, we're just now uh, roaming through the universe of UX writing together with uh, the design team and the engineers. It's been a really collaborative journey. And mm -hmm. To me, as an informal or aspiring UX writer, let's put it that way, the hardest thing is to be concise. You need to get your point across, but in such limited space, like the word labeling a button or a short tooltip or error message. That's why it's referred to as microcopy, right? And But how do you do it? You, you mentioned verbosity as that excess of words in your book and how the UX copy isn't meant to be read for pleasure. But do you have a process for decluttering text? Yeah, I, I have a, a general guideline, but I, I actually, I deeply sympathize with uh, my tech writing brethren like yourselves, <laughs> because the, the role of a tech writer is to just hammer on, you know, keep making it more clear. And one of the main ways that we can use language to do that is to add just a little bit more detail exactly. or just a little bit more background or just a little bit more context. And so, <laughs> right, add more context, exactly. Uh, and that is the, a skill that as a tech writer you've, prompt, you've, you've practiced doing and it has brought great success. And that uh, it's kind of hard to sort of use, uh, to really abuse this metaphor, it's asking you to use the same hammer in a different way. And, and that way is to, to examine like, okay, so this is everything that I could have said about this. Which parts are useful? Which parts are most useful? And of those parts, which are essentially useful? Uh, and then, so... My, my general mode is to go into, like, if I need to write a new message, I had to do this the other day for an error message that brought you to the end of an experience and really dropped you off a cliff. Um, and it was the, hey, so you've just gone through all this work and it turns out we can't do the thing that we <laughs> promised you could do by doing all this work. Well, crap. Um, <laughs> and so I write a Uh, I literally wrote a text box that was at least three times longer than it could possibly be. <laughs> And that, what that let me do was just think about what are all of the ideas that might be helpful here? What are all of the things that might be useful to the user in this moment? And are there anything 
uh, is there anything that we need to communicate uh, as the organization to reduce our liability at this point or or to provide that context of what could happen or to say that we're really, really sorry? And then I put it all in there. And then I took a look and said, well, okay, saying this thing is very similar to saying this so I can take one of them out. And then, wow, that's a lot of prepositional phrases. Like, boy, I bet there's a way to just draw lines through some of those. Actually, removing prepositional phrases is one of the best ways to just reduce bulk in your text at all. Mm -hmm. That's a great tip. Uh, (laughs) But it only takes you so far. (laughs) And then you're like, oh, now I've still got all these words. And then it's a matter of, uh, for me at least, it's a matter of rewriting it shorter and simpler and sometimes rearranging it like, oh, I can get rid of, uh, you know, this three-letter word or this two-letter word by making compound nouns and things like that. And it's just bit by bit, iterating and iterating, it gets shorter and shorter. But I definitely do not try to just get in there and write short from the beginning. Mm -hmm. That, uh, for me, is a fool's errand. Um, There are people who can do that. And I just, I don't even know how their brains work. I'm so envious. (laughs) Me too. (laughs) Yeah, no, but I love this iterative process that you talk about, uh, especially when when, uh, we're trying to make it concise and then we're trying to make it uh, conversational. I, I'm not sure if it's the other way around, but I mean, <laughs> it's 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 really interesting to have these different perspectives, but that bring uh, different but very important values to to the user and and the conversational part of it is is, is something that I'm I'm really a fan of uh, thinking about UX content uh, that way because. Uh, in the end, uh, th- that's what I feel it is. I mean, the interaction with the digital product, it's a conversation. And, and it's, uh, I was very glad to, to read it when you, when you say that, yeah, it, it needs to be conversational. That word like uh, uh, sticks in my mind right now because it's, I, I'm, even the, the tech writing that I'm doing every day, I'm trying to make it more conversational. I think it's, it's something really important to, to, to bring to, to our, our content and tech. Yeah, it's the very most basic way that humans establish relationship. And talking about conversation, on episode seven of the manuscript, we interviewed Mary Nielsen, who is a UX content strategist from MailChimp. And we talked about the role of tone and voice when building a brand's personality. And one of the biggest takeaways was how essential it is to apply tone and voice guidelines within the product itself, which is a role occupied by the UX writer. And in your book, you also mentioned the voice of the experience uh, during that conversation with the user and having in mind how your experience makes users feel. So how do you balance that need for clarity and conciseness that we talked about, but also showing your brand's personality? Yeah, absolutely. It is a big tension to do. Uh, But actually, I'd be remiss if I didn't say first, uh, MailChimp, I'm so glad you brought that up. MailChimp did some of the pioneering work in uh, explaining voice and making it accessible to people and making it so that we could really use it as a tool throughout our experiences. 
um, I used I and they made it public on their website because, of course, they wanted people to successfully use their product. So I'm a huge fan of MailChimp um, and and quote them uh, and the the people who uh, established their first guidelines all the time. Um, but to your point about balancing the clarity and conciseness with the conveying of the brand, we can really do a lot of brand conveying just with word choice, not even adding more words to the screen, but just how are we talking about it? Are we using a verb like send or a verb like submit? Because there's a very different feeling to those. Uh, but you have to decide on that voice ahead of time. And it's not enough to just have somebody who knows the voice or like, oh, it should just sound like me, says the CEO. It, it shouldn't just sound like the CEO. It should sound in a designed way like that brand, conveying that brand's principles uh, in a way that can be uh, pre-decided and worked on and iterated to be most effective for conveying that brand. So the clarity, conciseness, and brand have to all work together um, and not muddy each other up. And it's just, it raises the bar just a little bit more. They don't have to fight with each other. Uh, we talked a little bit, a little bit about uh, conversation, uh, this conversational aspect of uh, UX writing about uh, the the voice and tone, which are something that guide uh, UX writers in creating their content. And something that is very closely related to all that is uh, storytelling, right? Mm -hmm. uh, in your book, you mentioned that the most difficult and essential work in your UX writing strategy is building the conversation with the user, which is related to that. So how do you think that stories and, and conversations can can relate to to interface microcopy because uh, I guess for some people it should it, it's probably hard to to see uh, the storytelling or the conversation behind labels uh, spread in, in, in an interface of, of a digital product right so uh, how do you think this uh, this relationship yeah absolutely you know I I think of um, some really amazing photography I've seen. And we've all thought, we've all seen amazing photography, even just scrolling through Instagram, you can see some amazing pictures. And even without reading the caption, that image can tell you something. The images can always tell a story. And, and it's really the story that the person is telling themselves, right? Like what they're noticing of that and what it means to them. So I bring that up because our user, our interfaces, like especially when a person encounters them for the first time, our interfaces are telling some sort of story the same way these images are. And um, you see this when you're doing user research, especially user validation of new prototypes or of new experiences. Um, and and uh, God bless our, our user researchers who hold these interviews and ask people to, when they first encounter this new experience, you know, what does this, you know, let's just take a moment here on this first screen. What do you think is happening here? Or, or they might ask it like, can you tell me what you see? And those phrases, like I can't tell you how many user interviews I've sat through, uh, sometimes behind the one-way mirror, um, 
just listening to what a person is getting from a particular experience. That is that experience story, right? If somebody is saying, oh, I'm here in this app and it looks like I can write an email and I would click over here and add a thing, right? They, they talk through it. That is the story. And if, they can, if a person can come away from uh, an app and really understand the story that we were trying for them to learn using the language that we have embedded in it, uh, hopefully that is the same language that they would have used, that they would expect to use in this kind of environment. Then we've used those, uh, then we've sort of created the conversation they were expecting to have with it and maybe even gone farther. And it's the conversation they were delighted to have with it, you know, with like, this is an unusually pleasant conversation to be having. Great. That is the story that we should be designing toward. Wow. Wow. Amazing. Amazing way <laughs> yeah. to put it. Oh. <laughs> And uh, Tori, thank you so much for, for all those insights about UX writing uh, in particular. But now shifting gears a bit and talking about the tech industry, uh, there's a myriad of space for UX writing to be implemented, right? So anywhere there's a digital product, there's text guiding the user. And whether it's mobile apps or websites, any kind of platform, social media and so on, Do you notice any particularity depending on the medium the microcopy is at? Is UX writing different in mobile versus desktop, for example? What should UX writers have in mind when uh, shifting gears between different mediums and products? You know, I think the biggest difference, like we expected it to be a big difference back in the olden days, you know, of maybe five years ago. <laughs> We expected there to be an enormous difference, um, and yet there isn't. You know, people are still people, and they are still expecting their apps to behave like their apps and to have the same relationship with them on one device as on another. So this is why uh, responsive design that can go between uh, different uh, uh, sizes of screen um, and different engage uh, interaction models is so important. Um, And even like I learned to write, to do UX writing for the console. So for a TV experience, what we used to call a 10 foot experience because people would sit 10 feet away from their TV. Um, when we have, uh, but when we did studies on even just four particular screens, we ended up with the same width of, of text block that worked well, whether it was 10 feet away or you know, 10 inches away from somebody's face. So the language is very, very similar. It just needs to be able to flex to both environments or all environments that it's seen on. Cool. Uh, Tori, I, I guess you get this question a lot, but are there any tools or, or platforms that you count on to do your work today? I mean, honestly, the most important platform I work on is just Uh, working is is cooperation and collaboration with the people. So it's the people skills much more than the the actual tools I'm using. Um, and uh, I will say that it has gotten a lot easier with tools like Figma, where we can all collaborate. You know, across UX and product and engineering, all collaborate in real time on the same designs. Um, 
I am a big uh, stickler for designing content in its context. So if we're if we're doing our text design and we're doing it in a doc because that's easier to write in, or we're doing it in a spreadsheet because there's so many strings, uh, then we're really not able to evaluate those strings and their effectiveness the same way we would in an app. So while I have written in all of those circumstances, including in text messages when necessary, uh, I really prefer, uh, and, and not even in best case scenarios, in even merely adequate scenarios, getting the, the images or getting the text into the images, into the designs is essential. Okay, so I guess keep it simple. The, the important is that it's contextualized in, in, in the interface that you're going to ship it. Is that right? Yep. Okay. Cool. And I loved how you mentioned collaboration as one of the biggest tools to aid UX writers uh, to do their projects, because I feel that like so many fields within the tech industry, uh, UX writing is essential that you interact and collaborate with other areas to just get the job done. So it's yeah. always a joint effort with designers and product managers, engineers, marketing folk, uh, etc. So how do you view this collaborative aspect? Uh, what, what are some interesting processes that you've seen that makes it more effective? I think one of the, the very best uh, things to speed up a team, especially the larger the team gets. Um, so if you have uh, more, than, uh, more than a couple of product owners, for example, having somebody separate than from the product owners and separate from the engineers and separate from the UX designers, like a program manager who will own the process uh, and own maintaining process, not so much maintaining, I should say implementing process to make sure that, you know, they, uh, these are people who pay attention to everything that's going on and says, you know, might just pop up once in a while and say, hey, has so-and-so talked to you? Because they should have by now. <laughs> and, you know, somebody whose job it is to connect the dots and make sure, somebody who owns the collaboration, essentially, someone uh, who makes sure that there are the right review meetings, that there are the right people in those meetings. Um, it is a huge time saver for everybody and quality saver to have somebody, have it be somebody's job uh, to make sure that everybody knows what's going on enough to collaborate uh, in the way that they all want to. Wow, that's that's. Uh, I love how you also mentioned this in in your book, but to actually hear you navigate through your experience and those best practices is really a, a gift for us here at the manuscript. The amount of content uh, that we now have about UX writing is is. Uh, Uh, amazing compared to what we had like two three years ago uh, there are tons of courses certifications webinars etc but i guess when you started out nine years ago the scene mm -hmm. sh must must be must have been quite different from what it is now so how did it feel to be a pioneer in in, in this entire area uh, without the backbone that a, a mature field usually has Oh, it's been very exciting, but I will say I can't take uh, the kind of credit that others can about pioneering the area because I got to join this Xbox team that had three other 
UX writers when I joined and they showed me how to do it. They showed me how to engage with UX and how to push back on product owners and how to explain to uh, engineers that good grammar doesn't necessarily mean good writing, um, for example. <laughs> and it was like, I feel like I got this wonderful tutoring in how to do this and how to do it well. Um, and then it was only when uh, our team was grown. Uh, actually, our team stayed small, but the but the entire Xbox organization grew. Um, and then I was looking broader, saying, "Wait, I've just shipped Xbox One. You know what else is there in this career?" And then I went, "Oh, wait, we hardly exist." Um, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, we had such a marvelous team um, where we could ask each other you know, hey, can we have a, can we do a hallway consult? And, you know, I'm stuck on this one, you know, how to frame this and have these marvelous conversations. That is actually, uh, it's been since I worked uh, on, I guess, the Microsoft Windows apps team that I actually worked with that kind of uh, just numbers of other UX writers that I could go to like that who were on my same team. At, at Google so far, I've been uh, working with teams that had not yet uh, had a content strategist before I arrived. Mm. Wasn't um, it a bit scary in the beginning to to have a job title that you were almost inventing? <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> um, it is uh, it is not for the faint of heart to to sort of be out there on the edge of your own personal known universe where. Uh, where you're pretty sure that you're, uh, you kind of knew what you were doing a moment ago, and you're pretty sure that you need to be knowing what you're doing in another moment to come, but there's no guidebook. Um, and that's when uh, a couple of years ago, I went to the Confab conference in Minneapolis. And, uh, and it was the first time there was, I think, at this conference of 700 people, there were 40 people on the Slack channel who identified themselves as product content folks. And I thought, this is amazing. This is more than I've ever seen in one place at one time. And, and we got together over a lunch and, and they were talking about these problems that, uh, you know, just structural ways to solve problems with language. And I was thinking, but wait, we solved that problem like six years ago. Oh, you don't know. Oh my goodness. And there's nowhere to go to find those things out. Um, and so I got back from that conference and both my husband and a good friend of mine said, oh, so you're writing a book. And I, and I sat down and I, I outlined a book and I said, actually, this is something that the discipline needs. And the discipline doesn't necessarily need me. It needs to have books and lots of these books. It needs to have uh, everybody's best ideas being shared uh, so that we can build on each other, so that we can actually treat it like a discipline. You know, I would love it, frankly, if people uh, built on what I did and said, actually, this could be a lot better and came up with something better. But until then, we're just reinventing the same things and you know, learning and failing in the same ways, 
in unscalable ways. So hopefully with all of these books coming out uh, and all of these classes and certifications and webinars that we are going to be able to start uh, share. Well, what we have started to do is start to share the information with each other so that we can uh, build on it and, and discard what isn't working well enough and build things that work better. Cool. Yeah, I know. It's, it's, it's amazing to see people who start this kind of thing and then five, ten years later you see that it's, it's a whole area or movement or idea that uh, is just uh, established. So, well, congrats on that. Thanks. And uh, I was a little bit curious to know the story behind uh, the, your writing of the book. So how was that creative process around that time? How did the idea of writing it mature and develop? Well, I, um, I have been a, a writer of fiction in the past. So I knew about, I knew already about, you know, writing a pitch for a book and sending it to publishers. Um, and, and how to frame that idea. Uh, so what I did is I, I, uh, I had sat down and written this outline for a book. So the next thing I did was write a pitch for it and sent it out immediately to a publisher. Um, and then while that was out at the publisher for the next three months, uh, I, I worked on fleshing out the ideas and I worked on um, drafting different parts that seemed easy to write. <laughs> Uh, because starting with the parts that are easy is a great way to fill a blank page. Um, and then uh, and then three months later, I heard uh, back from that publisher that they already had a similar book in progress, um, but good luck. And wow. I felt sorry for myself for a couple of weeks. And then, um, and it was actually, I had started working at Google at that point as a contractor, um, and I was very busy. And I thought... Okay, what's the very best, uh, what's the ideal publisher for this? What's the one that I would just love to get and would be super effective? And that was O'Reilly. And, uh, and I looked at how to submit a book to O'Reilly, and it was essentially send an email to this email address. That's convenient. And having pitched, yeah, it's convenient, but having pitched fiction books before, I went, oh, nobody's ever going to read this. So, But I sent the pitch. And then I set a calendar reminder for myself for three months after that, um, when I expected to be less busy, to withdraw the pitch and then do some real research about the real next place I would pitch it. Um, and then two weeks later, the editor at O'Reilly contacted me and said, this looks promising. Let's work on this pitch. So then we worked on the, the book proposal that is, uh, that is used internally at the publisher uh, to to really flesh out the um, the business argument for making for writing this book and bringing it to market, um, and we then signed a contract, and then I sat down and wrote a book. <laughs> That's crazy. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> well, rest assured that the the result is is incredible. Uh, we are tech writers in in an e commerce company in Brazil using your book as, as, as a total, reference for, total for our team. <laughs> yeah. So it, it, it got really far and well, it's, it's, it's really an amazing reference for us. Thank you. It's uh, wonderful to hear. That's yeah. its whole job is to be useful. <laughs> no, it, it sure, surely is. 
Uh, well, sorry, I'm, I'm so happy with this conversation. I mean, it, it, it's kind of making making me want to go work after we ended here, although it's a Friday, <laughs> almost 9 p.m. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yeah, it's it's Friday afternoon here, and, and I think this is my last uh, uh, burst of energy for the day. And We're I hope honored. that's true for you guys, too. Yeah, yeah. Well, we're using it well, very well. So uh, this is the moment in, in the manuscript, Tori, where we ask our interviewees their thoughts on the future of, of, the, of their respective areas. So uh, what trends do you see for, for the future of UX writing, uh, be it uh, for this year or for the next years? I mean, uh, how do you see the, the evolution of, the, of this field in, in the next months and, and years to come? I really hope that UX writing um, becomes commonplace at places that are and and well understood at uh, at places that are making software, at places that are making other experiences with uh, with hardware and, and in other ways. The I think that the future is likely to follow the same kind of arc that UX design has, where we go from a few of us seen as very niche specialists. Um, scattered in an organization, or maybe one of us in an entire company, um, to having it be a, a team, maybe a small team of, of people who are seen as interaction designers who specialize on words. Um, I think that we're going to see better tools. I think that we're going to see um, better understanding of the role in the, in the wider scheme of things. At least I hope so. Wow, I love how your answer uh, really shows that you understand the history of UX writing, like where it's been and where it should go from now on. It's it's uh, especially interesting to hear uh, your your answer to that question. And we have another block on our podcast, which is book recommendations. So, Tori, tell us mm -hmm. what book is currently on your nightstand. Oh, it is actually this book called Because Internet, um, and it is uh, it is by Gretchen McCulloch, and it is by this, she's a linguist, and she studies the patterns in how language has changed uh, in our sort of uh, conversational use because of the internet, and it is fascinating. As somebody who's been on uh, interconnected things since the old... IRC days and even before that with mainframe computers at the University of Florida wow. a million years ago because my dad was a professor there. Um, yeah, it is it is really worth a read. Cool. I love to, to, to see the, the take of the these kind of people who were like in the when when everything was uh, grass as we say it in Brazil. I'm not sure if that's an expression in English. I think that's a very <laughs> Brazilian saying flash yeah. <laughs> meme. We'll 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 add it to our show notes to so yeah. I'm fascinated by it. Yes, please add it to your show notes. <laughs> uh, and what book or article would you recommend to our listeners so they can learn more about UX writing? And let me make a parenthesis here that listeners, I don't know if it's clear already the like how much we're fans of Tori's book so we totally recommend that you read it stop everything that you're doing and read it but Tori besides <laughs> your book what would you recommend our listeners to dig in I I really have enjoyed both of the the 
the one that's called Writing is Designing from Rosenfeld Media that's um, uh, written by Michael Metz and Andy Welfley. Um, that actually was the book that was already underway when I was pitching mine. So I had pitched to Rosenfeld and they turned me down because Andy and Michael's book was underway. Mm -hmm. uh, there's also Writing for Designers by Scott Cuby. Um, and it's just a very no-nonsense practical book on doing the writing geared toward uh, people who are already doing design. Um, but then on a different note, the idea, uh, one of my very favorite books for doing any sort of structural work in the UX, any like deep design work, is this book called How to Make Sense of Any Mess. And it's by Abby Covert. Um, and it's a beautiful little book all about uh, literally methods for making sense of messes. Because if that's not what UX is, I'm not sure what it is. I think our, our listeners are really going to want to read this book because the last episode that we recorded, which has not been aired yet, uh, the person who we interviewed recommended exactly the same book. So, oh, that's fantastic. <laughs> double recommendation. <laughs> yeah, everybody should read this book. Yeah, no, I, I read it and it's it's really amazing. I, I recommend it as well. It's the kind of book that I wish I had when I was graduating from college, right? Like just such a mm -hmm. practical way of going about figuring out tough problems. And not even professionally, like in your life in general, I feel like that I need a guide to sort out the mess in my life. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Lives are messy. <laughs> well, Tori, uh, it's been really, really a great pleasure to talk to you. Uh, we were hoping to have a very insightful conversation and we sure did. Uh, your book, as I said, is an inspiration, your career uh, as well. And, uh, well, I hope we uh, keep in touch and, and, and I hope we, you still you, you keep uh, doing your, this fantastic job that you've been doing so far. Uh, UX writing, I believe, would not be what it is uh, without uh, the influence that you had. So thanks so much for all this and thanks so much for, for joining us here in The Manuscript. Thank you so much for your time today and for this lovely conversation. It was lovely to meet both of you. And let me just add as, uh, well, in the risk of embarrassing myself, <laughs> I feel that one of the great benefits of, of creating this podcast is having the chance to really talk and reach out to the people who are your mentors professionally. And Tori, uh, I've said this to you right before <laughs> we started recording, but you really are a super role model uh, for UX writing in, in our team and in our professional experience. And it was really a pleasure to talk to you and get to know a bit more about your experience. Oh, thank you so much. Thanks for tuning in to The Manuscript. If you'd like to suggest a guest for future episodes, send us an email at themanuscriptpodcast at gmail.com. We'll be back in two weeks. See you there.